Hello, hello, hello. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Moms Talk Autism podcast. Today, we have a guest. She's actually a host, but she's a guest today. (laughs) So sit tight, and we will be right back with the incredible, mean, mean, Jean legislative machine. (laughs) We'll be back. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. All right, you guys. Today, your host, Natasha, Real Talk with Tosh, and we, meaning me, I'm hosting uh, our sweet little Jean. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Jean Mayer. We are hosting her because she is going to give us all of the conversation around what she does. Uh, so many of you out there have asked, like, I, I've even heard, I love this one. Uh, I think somebody asked one time in the DMs on Instagram if uh, they thought that Jean, when she was going to when she was doing the legislative work or whatever, she was going to the, at the white house. <laughs> and I was I like, am... not dang. <laughs> dang. I am probably in February. So now that that actually is, but like when I do reference the Capitol right now, it's specifically. Yes. The specifically State the Capitol. Texas Capitol. But mm-hmm. um, nonetheless, we've had so many of you guys ask like how, what, how, um, all the things that you guys want to know, want to know what it exactly is that Jean does and, and how she got involved in it, etc. So, um, so we're going to have a little conversation around that today. Are you excited, Jean? I am actually, because people do ask is. me a lot. People, people ask me a lot and it's hard to put like in go, the words. Go into a long, yeah, like through It's, hard, it's hard to or... distill it down and it's also mm-hmm. people again, any advocacy work, I feel like any advocacy work is, it can, does intimidate a lot of people. And mm-hmm. so my mm-hmm. hope is, is well, that this inspire. The, the, yeah, it, it inspires and also removes any, a lot of like intimidation factors. And just to be like, everything starts from some kind of grassroots cause. Yeah. So, yeah. Cause I mean, you know, like you and I have talked so much about, um, different stuff in my school district and, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm not even talking about, you know, legislative work at at, at the Washington, you know, capital or whatever, but policy work. Yeah. Um, and even just like kind of getting involved in, in the school board, you know, is, it feels a little bit scary, you know, like you right now, especially, I mean, and just, you know, like it, it just seems like, 
you know, what are the qualifications? What do you, what do you have to, who do you have to be? What do you have to be? You know, like all of those things. And, and, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to have any previous experience, I'm assuming. So, which you Mm -hmm. will share with us today, but, um, (laughs) so, so let's, let's kind of just share, I mean, you know, obviously people who have been listening to the podcast for a while, they know your background story of, of Rory, of Rory, but yeah, your guys' journey, um, but kind of give a little bit uh, about, you know, what you were before Rory, what you did, um, mm-hmm. and then how it just like went from that to, you know, this. just just Where diving right now. in, diving right into the deep Being end. literally the b- bloom where you've been planted yes. um, yeah. analogy is really encapsulates much of where I'm at right now and how it came to be. Yeah. Um, well, I actually love that introduction, the mean, mean legislative machine. I'm I've called you mean, mean gene for a long time. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, that, and that's but been the a, whole, the I, whole, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's been like a, that's been like a standard, even like growing up. That was like a, because of mean gene Okerland. I totally, yes. got, I always yeah. got that nickname. Um, especially in a fit when I was not in my nicest mood. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but rolling in that legislative machine, that's a, that was, that was sweet. Yeah, that's some... good. I'm going to have to use that with mm-hmm. the other trustees mm-hmm. that I'm friends with. Um, so yeah, so bef- I didn't always, you know, for those who are listening, like I live in Texas now, I've lived here now for eight years. Um, but I grew up and lived my whole entire life basically in um, Baltimore, Maryland. I went to college in, in Philadelphia, um, so, but my whole entire life experience was mainly up and down the, the East coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a huge culture shock to move here. My, my profession and my career, um, uh, and my study when I, when I went to college was for culinary arts and hospitality management. Mm-hmm. And so my entire business or my entire like work history was restaurants. I mean, when I was, before I went to college, I started out, I was the only girl who's like the prep cook, you know, in this kitchen with all of these grown men. And, you know, when you've, when you've got to wrangle yourself around that, I mean, it's a very male dominated field in general, yes. um, but being back in like the in trenches the kit- yeah, it's with super. those, with those creatures, cause yeah. they are, we are a different breed <laughs> yes. of people, you know, it's can. You know, we, you, we're not the front of the house and the back of house divide is a real, is, is a real thing. Um, so you learn like the underbelly, you know, and so, and I love that kind of stuff, you know, that's, uh, you, you learn the ins and outs of things. And I obviously, uh, was a huge Anthony Bourdain fan and his first book, Kitchen Confidential Mm -hmm. actually talks a whole lot about what the restaurant business is really like. Um, and the underbelly of it. And so, um, I know, and I'm honestly, giggling, I'm giggling Jean, because you know that I know because my twin was in that industry in that, and it, it, it is bonkers, right. like, woo, right. woo, bonkers. Right. And <laughs> I, she still I would is, never do it. <laughs> and she still is technically, which again, like mine had evolved a similar evolution to, you know, to moving be, to, yeah. into event production. So, um, What's funny is I actually, this is a cool story. I will say this, this this is a cool story. I did. So uh, thankfully, Kitchen Confidential was not released when I was a teenager. 
um, or else I'm sure if my parents read it, they would have never let me work in the restaurant business. Like it's especially in a mom and pop kind of like privately owned. If you want, if you want your kids to work in the restaurant business, I would suggest that they are working for a corporate institution Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's a lot more guardrails and protections and policies and that kind of stuff. And you're not going to be walking into some of the serious, like, especially for a girl, honestly, not to, Mm -hmm. the, the, the sexual harassment is a Mm -hmm. big, 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 big part of it. And I had to help my niece walk through that too, when she, um, cause I did raise my nieces. So that's another part of like my story back in Baltimore, you know, before I had my own kids, my sister had passed and I had, you know, raised, was raising a 12 and a 14 year old. And there was a lot of advocacy that I did for them. For them. And my mm-hmm. youngest niece was a, you know, basically a twice exceptional child herself because she struggled with some mental health, but she was academically like just off yeah. the charts. Yes. You know, we had her placed in this amazing, you know, private school, one of the top 50 in the entire country. You know, I cried all the time anytime we did anything there. It was so amazing that got her into that position. So there was always that I always had to drive around what was best for kids. I always had to drive around education and it's and there was no there was no indication of what was on the horizon for me where I am now. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, moved, I graduated college and I um I had various different leadership positions in in the restaurant business and then um I was thinking about getting out of the hospitality business. And, but then, uh, it was like, if, but if there's another opportunity that comes along and I had, there was, I found this guy who was a chef and he wanted, he was, he was just starting a catering company. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll join forces with him. Um, because I had the desire, I was, even though I had like culinary arts background, I had the desire to be running the gears of things, the building of understanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a systems person, logistics. Like I love that stuff. So it was a really cool experience. I I built out a um, catering company, a huge, uh, we built out a 12,000 square foot commissary. And that was just a starting point. Um, I was there for three years, got secured some big contracts and, and I guess partnerships, if you will. And then, um, I realized there was a ceiling, you know, it was, mm-hmm. he was, it was, again, it was a male dominated business. And if I mm-hmm. wanted more freedom and flexibility and, and control of the direction of the business, um, I needed to start my own. So I had started an event firm mm-hmm. and I did have a business partner. And so I did that, um, for the last six years that I was in Baltimore before I left. Um, and we're talking and, um, event planning, like everything from weddings to, to yeah. corporate events to. So my business was like, yeah, it was about 50-50 where I did a lot of private social, which was a good amount of weddings, mm-hmm. right? It was big business and weddings. Um, even at that time, like when I started that business, it was in 2009 when the economy had dropped. So you started yeah. a business. Um uh, then like just leaping out of that, but I benefited of it. I had built so many relationships. So I just kind of like segued into that yeah. kind of, kind of Easily, seamlessly yeah. in a seamlessly, way, you know, yeah. and like, um, and secured some big partnerships. They like started giving us incomes. We weren't in the, we weren't in the red. I didn't start that business, you know, mm-hmm. like in the red, like usually any kind of business that starts out, it takes three yeah, to five first, years yeah, to, to say, build, least, yeah. 
to build a profit margin and we were immediately, you know, profitable, like not majorly profitable, but like but, profitable. Yeah, holding your own. Yes. Right. And um, so, but I did a lot of um, uh, some of the private, so I did a lot of like nonprofit work. So, and a lot of fundraising and um, I, I even sat on boards at that time. Um, and so I had a real passion for serving the community and um, working with businesses and having associated partnerships that were socially conscious. And that was a big movement. In 2009, 2010, that was actually a big movement out there that if, because people were, consumers were, if they were going to spend money, they were going to, they were going to be very wise about how that money was spent. And if, right. a, if a restaurant or um, any kind of service had added value to what they were doing, where they were, where it was giving back to the community in some aspect that, that drew people in. And obviously consistency is key to an exceptional service. So it really drowned out a lot of bad that, things. That, so that, sometimes yeah. when the economy mm-hmm. tanks, there it's are some benefits some because benefit it kind of like, yeah. right. Sometimes we, I mean, it's we, terrible some, for business owners, of course, but it, it does weed out the, some of the, the bad the bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. the bad, right? And it has people re-examine and we, re- we we recalibrate and we look at things. Like it's as its pluses and its minuses. Um, so it's really good for people that have entrepreneurship mindset that, mm-hmm. that like, you know, if you, if you are an entrepreneur, a lot of times people will tell you like the best time to start a business is when the economy is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you didn't, that didn't make sense to me at that time or as my, it didn't resonate with me until actually I was in that moment um, mm-hmm. and doing that. And uh, so, but one of my clients um, was through like, so Under Armour was a, was a huge contract that I had and Under Armour is, is based in Baltimore. And um, I had um, garnered a really close relationship with one of the CEO's um, wife and they had a family foundation and they were very philanthropic. So they did a lot of not, I, I ended up, mm-hmm. you know, producing all of the work that she wanted to do for all of the impact and fundraising that she wanted to do. And mm-hmm. all of it, everything that she was doing was geared around childhood development and education. Mm-hmm. And so I was very, um, I'm just going to stop you, you really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, I love me some Jesus. So I'm over here going like, Oh, it's such a God thing because he knew. <laughs> he knew he knew you were gonna have Rory and he was just priming the wheels for you, sister. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it really did help a lot too. You know, I was obviously very centered around kids and, and right. me being you know, I didn't have the most secure childhood growing up. It was very tumultuous. There's a there's a lot of trauma that I had and so I definitely right. felt this like drive and pull. You know, I, I was, I'm a come with me girl. I wasn't a girl that was like, because especially when it came to my nieces and a lot of people were like, there were many naysayers that said, this is not your responsibility. Yeah. And for me, I said, they don't, if, if not me, then who? And it was right. like, you know, I didn't want to wait till I got to a place that says, this is where I want to be. And then I can help you mm-hmm. or then I can have kids or then I can have that responsibility. I was like, no, we're just we're just going to do this together. I'm going to, you know, bring them along with me, you know, this journey. Um, because I felt like, I don't know, kids that walk 
I understood trauma and I, I understood what it was like to feel like alone and that nobody cared about you. And I was mm-hmm. never, ever going to let them feel that way. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted them to be, it wasn't about like checking certain boxes for them. It was that, that they were going to come out on the other side of this. Yeah. I wanted to be sure of that. And I wanted them to feel like when they felt like they had nobody, that they always had me. Um, and so there was this kind of like weird there's this weird synergy happening at that time in my life. And I would have no idea that like that would end up being kind of the prerequisite to where I am now and doing the work that I did with my client really opened my eyes up to so many things. Like a lot, we, we, some of the stuff was again, looking at different pedagogies of, of educational models, um, things that she had her children involved in and why. And I learned all the benefits of that, like, you know, music and fine arts. And you, you had to, the benefit, the, the most awesome thing about also being like an event planner or caterer is that you constantly were a lifelong learner because your clients came to you and said, this is something that I'd want to do. Well, if you want to deliver the impact that they're seeking for, you had to then learn that passion. You had to immerse yeah. yourself yeah. in, in those topics to understand what it is. You had to research it. To, in to order, then be, be I, able to execute the the the, the event, the impact, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. that they they want to have, and to be really interconnected with all of the people, because usually, again, you weren't just working with with one person. Like right. a lot of times, I ended up work it, and then I'm not even talking about the vendors because the vendors, you know, that could be massive amount of people that you're organizing and orchestrating, but actually, like. Um, the, the committees that were, right. there were committees involved and there were other people or you, or you were working with boards. Right. And so there was such a diverse amount of um, experiences that I was having professionally that really, I guess, enriched and helped build kind of even my confidence and being able to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't necessarily like to be a leader in front, right? I like to lead from behind, I like to be the person behind the scenes, kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, making all the things happen. The person that people could lean on to make stuff happen, and that was super cool to me. And I loved the challenge. I loved being up to the challenge. Like, what is your dream? What is your vision? All right, let me. I'm game. Let's do yeah. it. You know, yeah. um, this particular client used to call me her go-to girl. I mean, she would call me on the fly. She would. There sometimes we were planning a, an event in a week, you know, and other times we we had a whole year out. You know, yeah. from things. So we, we had the whole so, gamut. So, of New, stuff so New York. Did. Yeah, it was so New York. <laughs> she. So New York. I mean, these were. I, I. You know, and I. I ended up being my. Um, my husband uh, at the time and his friends. They used to crack up because I used to end up in the papers all the time. I was always at these like high society events, and she's like, "Your wife is the richest poor person that I know." <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, because like they would open oh it up gosh, and it's like, oh, there's Jean again. Oh, there's Jean yeah. again. Oh, yeah. Jean Mayer from Boutique Fence is, is here yeah. again. You know, it was so <laughs> it was so random all the time. But those things also helped me build more more clientele, more experiences, more clout and stuff. It was it was really cool and exciting. I I I did I worked a lot and um so fast forward when I like one leaving Baltimore was really sad for me. I was very attached 
because I was, I mean, my whole life was there. My, mm-hmm. my, my lifelong friends, my network, my family. Everything. Um, I also, yeah. I also felt like I was a ban- I was abandoning the Renaissance that Baltimore was having. Baltimore doesn't exactly have, you know, the best reputation because everyone knows right. it for the wire and, and there's high crime and there is definitely the city in essence, you know, has a whole huge history of corruption that still is not yes. redeemed itself. Um, you know, one of my best friends, a couple just, you know, what, uh, year and a half ago, two years ago was, was murdered. And that, um, the person that it was just last week, he finally, um, the one guy, there was three people involved and one, um, the one that they did actually arrest and take to trial, he was just sentenced to 50 years. So he's a lifelong sentence they were pretty young kids. Um, and it was a, something that was caught on film. I, you know, I, it's so weird. I was just talking about this with someone the other night. Like people asked me what my, what the experience was like in Baltimore, you know, and, and I, and I know too, like in Portland, um, the homeless population is like big and they were talking about how aggressive they, someone was saying, like, oh, I was just in Portland and like homeless people were so, so aggressive. And I'm like, well, to me, it's like, that's like the norm, you know, like to me, that's, I'm not, you either, I don't know, it's like you become numb, you just build a different type of resilience. I, I don't to know. It, yeah. To, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know really totally how to describe it, but I mean, I feel like I love the city. I love city life. I was, I was a city girl. Um, but leaving there and coming to Austin and being in a landlocked location, because I was used to being on the coast, just environmentally, it was different. The people, the, the mindset, people were out of the gate, very nice to you. And you're just not even used to yes. that. You think people have an ulterior <laughs> motive. Like, why are you being nice to me? You don't know me. Right. Exactly. Like, what, oh. you know, and again, like coming from a hospitality background, it's not like, again, I'm not driven to be that way, but that was like in my job. That wasn't necessarily how I would function every day in my life. You had to have this like, you know, tough girl kind of like, mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. mess with me. Like I resting my face, own. stern, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like you commanded attention kind of uh, a thing. Um, it was just like a self-defense coping mechanism. And so it was weird just adjusting to life here in general. And when I first moved, I my, I had agreed, you know, it was part of the agreement with my husband. I was pregnant with McKenna. She was born on the, like three weeks later, like to the date on the dot, 37 weeks. I was, I moved, I was on modified bed rest, like moving across country and being on bed rest. Like there was all kinds of traumatic experiences for me um, during that time. And then, uh, I promised that I would not have, I would, I would, I would spend time just acclimating our family of like just yes. orienting just ourselves to the, to the new yeah. city. And we didn't know if we were going to say, just decide to stay permanently. We were, right. so we had, we rented and didn't make a purchase because we wanted to have that flexibility to be like, no, we're going to go back. This isn't for this us. This isn't for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we had stayed in central Austin, central Austin for about, um, three years, um, before we moved to where I live now in Pflugerville. Um, but during that time while we were in central Austin, so I guess it was like, I don't know, you know, 
again, everybody wants to listen to, to Rory's story. You can go back to listen to how, again, that the, what the diagnosis process was. But so it was about a year into living here or maybe two years that Rory got diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had started another hospitality business. I started a pop-up catering company. Um, I was doing like some like meal planning and prepared meals for families, but I also was doing events or I would do delivery or I would do drop off. Um, I was like seeking um, like kind of renting a commercial kitchen or a shared kitchen space. I was exploring all of these things at that time, um, but I was realizing it was getting more and more challenging. Um, It was this kind of, I was coming to this impasse. Like Rory wasn't, right when I was starting this, we had just like kind of finalized the diagnostic process and he hadn't started, he'd started some therapy. Like he had had speech. We're about to move into equine, but we hadn't started, you know, being fully immersed into being committed to ABA for the Mm -hmm. amount of hours a week that we were doing. And I, I didn't know what that was going to call for in my life in terms like what that level of commitment and the time best invested and management was. But so even before that, evaluating the time currency piece of things, I was struggling at home with him because he was so highly sensory seeking and yeah. impulsive. And so I was constantly mitigating things. So it was like, how just, am I going to- Just 24 seven, just like- and, and, I, and I had an infant, you know, or I was still nursing yes. McKenna. And yeah. so I was, I had two kids under five and I'm mitigating him constantly and trying to keep him busy and occupied um, always trying to wear him out because bedtime was terrible. You know, it used to like take mm-hmm. three hours for him to fall asleep. So that was always a process. And I was completely burned out. And I was like, fi- finally, like, especially once we started getting denials from health insurance, I was like, this is a full-time job. Yeah, This is yes. a full-time job advocating for Rory, managing his care, his treatment, like, I'm not going to be able to have a business. And mm-hmm. and Brad at the time was begging me to find a job because the bills for his medical care and out of pocket were just cr- crazy. That first year between our healthcare premium that we were paying for the plan that we had, because we needed to have, you know, the expansive right. behavioral health aspect of things to, to, um, yeah, cater to, to accommodate to Rory. Rory. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then all of the out-of-pocket and co-pays and stuff was $75,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's and, – and you're talking about, like, I had cut out my income because I no longer had that – my event firm anymore. So, like, mm-hmm. there wasn't even that coming in. And then just – and the and then start the little startup that I had again, it was – there was not enough. No time. I wasn't yeah. making – there wasn't a profit margin. You know, I wasn't – I had to, like, do a cost-benefit analysis. Like, I, I'm going to have to table this. Yeah. And so that, that started, I, I, and you know, and you now, cause you know me personally too, like once I, I get hyper-focused on something and I start researching something, I have to know everything about yes. it. So I, and obviously learning to how to, to get, cause tech, I realized I learned that having a disabled child in Texas was hard. Why was ideal that Texas University, like, or sorry, I should say UT is one of the top 10 universities in the whole country for like autism research. 
And so you felt like, okay, well, there's the saturation around here where it was like, okay, well, this makes me feel like I have some good conduits to plug into, right, for resources because I was kind of snobby in that I was like, well, I'm from Baltimore and Johns Hopkins is right there and that's where its pediatrician was mm-hmm. and Kennedy Krieger, you know, being the epitome of, of autism um, research, I thought, like, what I might have to consider moving back to Baltimore, but I was like, but how can we afford it? You know, it yeah. was, there were so many things to kind of weigh, but so I was kind of satisfied with the knowledge about what was around us and what was available to us, but, but the systems and the processes, there was a lot of barriers from a policy standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and even inside the, even inside the healthcare system. And we've talked about that on the podcast and we've had people on, um, talk about what that's like navigating that process. And then I was so exhausted by the medical part of it that when I was examining whether or not I was going to put Rory into the education system, because even with, again, our kids, he had had the full independent evaluation. He was eligible for services inside of public education, but I was not ready to take on that system you know, yeah. and understanding that system because I was over here just completely enmeshed and I was putting all my eggs in his healthcare basket because mm-hmm. I felt that's where the experts were. I wasn't sure. I didn't have confidence that the education that system. The edu- yeah. The public education system or just the right. education system alone. Was because, able to. because back East, our public education system, especially in Baltimore, Maryland yeah. and most surrounding areas, there's a few pockets but public ed is not, not great good. there. Yeah, it's yes. and so everyone. I went to private school. Everybody, I mean, people, p- parents went broke. They would be hand to mouth just to send their kid to private school, and that mm-hmm. that was my life growing up. That's how my mom was, and so like I thought, I I didn't really know if I had had faith in this, and that so far, like where we were zoned for in Central Austin, I wasn't impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did start to stick my toe in the pond at one point and you could do like drop-in services. So he was doing drop-in speech. And so it was kind of like, it was like my little like training wheels going through IEP meetings, AKA ARD meetings as they are called here. And, um, I noticed that immediately it was apparent to me that there was big problems in AISD and special education and especially where we were zoned. And in and the alternative options they were giving me for kind of different um, school placements for the particular programs that Rory needed, mm, they weren't really appealing to me other either because I really did have high expectations on what how I felt my child should be supported and educated. Um, not even just not without even having the understanding, full understanding of the type of learner he was quite yet. I was learning that. I was learning a lot about, again, him, him being a different type of learner. And so with knowing that I was like, if, if they aren't in my understanding again, of like having what an I individualized, individualized education plan was, I thought for sure, like, you know, well, that means that I can shape his education to be however I want it. And we all know that it's not as cut and dry as that. Like, yes, you were a part of the process, but you don't have, you're not the total driver or director of, mm-hmm. of the show. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're a piece of it for sure. You do a final say. And so again, your final say could be like, 
you know, no, or thank no, you, but I, no yeah. thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we even tried, um, we did find some specialized private schools um, and those were not working out. Um, very expensive. I thought, wow, you know, if I can find sanctuary for my kid, great. But what happened was he ended up being in a more restricted environment. And, you know, we're always looking for, for especially for our kiddos, you're looking always yes. for the least restrictive least. environment mm-hmm. for your kid. Um, and I had no, I had no dog in that fight there. You know, even if, even, even though they had their own like student, ha- student parent handbook that indicates that parents are a part of the process again this is in the private school that we are in mm-hmm. they they still at the end of the day it's really up to them the private yeah. school gets to decide you the parent have no say even though you're the one with the gold and you're paying the money yeah and that it's, was kind it, of my yeah. experience yeah. back east was though is those schools did the private schools catered more to the families mm. um here in texas they did not at all like not even from an you know, typically developing standpoint, there's the culture of private schools here. I found to be completely different alone. And that then was completely off putting. And we, mm-hmm. we tried it a couple times, um, where we were examining the possibility of private, uh, and I will get into that. But, uh, so I noticed that if I stayed in central Austin, <laughs> it was going to be a longer uphill battle. And I already knew I was in for an uphill battle. Like we knew, once we know if accepted that we're in this world, we have obstacles and challenges. So I had to decide. I, I think I knew at that point I accepted that there's going to be challenges no matter what on this on this journey. Yes, I need yeah. to find kind of the the path of least resistance. I need to find some more level playing ground here, um, if I'm going to put my kid in the pub ed system. And mm-hmm. I was then committing to learning how to navigate that system. So. That's how we found Pflugerville, you know, and I did a lot of research, you know, again, back to, um, I, I went and I interviewed and visited toward five of the elementary schools and the, in, in the, around the areas that we were looking at homes and we were trying to make an economical decision. It was both driven by economics. We wanted to find where we could get the biggest bang for our buck for, mm-hmm. for land and house and where we were going to at least have a much better yeah, ed- like educational, educational mm-hmm. experience for Rory, um, where I knew and, I was and, still going to have to advocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, exactly for both kids, that was going to be mm-hmm. a good fit for my family. And so, that was the most educated, strategic decision that had to be made, and it was also a matter of timing too. We had to like find a house that would be ready by the time that our lease mm-hmm. was going to be up. We were just we were all trying to time it right. There's a lot of things in the balance. Um, so I was exhausted. And Rory at that time was in full-time ABA therapy. We're talking about combined accumulated therapy hours a week. He was in 45 hours of therapy with, with speech, OT, um, oh my gosh, equine and ABA. So that was your job. Yes. And, and nobody, nobody talked about that. I felt, and you felt so isolated. I hadn't, um, yet had that parent mentor yet. Um, I think it was maybe like a, a year into it, I, I started to get that. And then when I was starting to have some, yes, I guess, deep... pushback from mm-hmm. like um, the, from AI, AISD from Austin Independent School District with 
you know, that hard naive process, I hired a legal advocate and he was kind of running in the back scenes. He was doing much more of like foundational, making sure that he felt like I could vocalize or I could articulate what needed to happen if he could just inform me. Because once you throw any kind of legal advocate or, um, or attorney in the mix, it immediately, the team will become adversarial with you. And so Mm -hmm. you have to be very strategic about when you're going to pull that trigger. Um, and he was very, he was very good at advising me with that. Um, so he spent a lot of time building me up and informing me along the way as I was learning a lot of things trial by error. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like our move to Pflugerville was going well. You know, I felt like for as well as it could be, meaning it was, uh, he was in an integrated classroom. They had a special program, their PPCD, their early intervention program was, it was an integrated program called Pegasus. So half of the kids were typically developing and the other pass was, you know, had a variety of exceptionalities, medical needs or disabilities. And so- And this is in the pre-K program. This was their pre-K program. It was a special- you know, for, for, for those kids. Um, and so it was unique to Pflugerville and that was one of the deciding factors too, for, for having him here. And he had a lovely, we're still, I'm still friends with her. Um, she, she was, she's a very good, um, special education teacher. Um, and I'm so proud that she still serves in our district. She's really great with the kids and understanding, um, them, but she definitely, what I saw by the time we got to that end of that first year, and leading up to that annual ARD and IEP meeting that we were going to have that was going to actually determine Rory's placement for the, the year to follow, that was very revealing to me about mm-hmm. the systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw one, unfortunately, the teacher had made a predetermination, and um, I didn't know what that was. At that time, my legal advocate had to inform me. She's like, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Mayor, they cannot do that. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't involve you in that process, and they're determining placement for your child without your input. And mm-hmm. so they need to go back to the table and revisit, or they're in big trouble. And um, I think that was a learning curve for both she and I. But it was also, I realized why she also had done it. There was a lot of, I know she was good intentioned. I know the team was good intentioned they're running with a skeleton crew and she was juggling all that caseload by herself mm-hmm. without properly trained paras, you know, but, I mean, some one maybe was, but with the amount of the caseload that she had, there was not much for her to lean on. She had to be in control of all the, all the data. Um, she was making data formed incision decisions based on what she could do within the capacity and range that she had. And I just saw that, Everything, and we talked about that when we had Brie on, like, you know, it was an imbalance in the population distribution Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and also like, and not having the right training. So I was starting to get, dig deep into why is it this way? And you started to realize that, I mean, right immediately after that first meeting that I was like, she's, she's only going to be able to do or say so much about what I request when I say like that committee, that baseline. So it's going to, you have to go higher ups and then they're only going to have, they only have so, so much, much range, range. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. you're just like, wow. Well, there in particular, is why is it this way in what, you know, most of us would think just having a vague idea of school districts, et cetera, is 
if we are in a well-to-do area, a well-funded area, et cetera, why, why are these issues happening? You just automatically right. think that they shouldn't right. be happening. Right. You know? And you also don't understand it. You also, and especially not at that time, I certainly didn't understand how school funding and right. what school finance look like. That's a complicated beast. School finance is no, no joke. It is very hard to understand. And so the public perception of is school finance all these and taxes. <laughs> right. But you don't know how that you don't really know how that is distributed out and how that's yeah. yeah. How that's mitigated and managed and what the state right. policies are and what the what the I was just gonna even, even say just state to state, you know, it's not like right. it's a federally, you know and also district to district. So then you have district local policies. Yeah. So you have like yeah. federal, state, local. You have all these different layers that drive exactly how your your school district is running and down to, again, the very desk that your kid is sitting in. Yes. And I knew, even though I was being very confrontational with the staff, they got, a lot of them ended up understanding why. And we were, I was able to repair things with the campus per se to have the relationship because that's the scary thing, right? That's the scary thing for us as parents. We are every single one of us, all of us on this podcast, but as well as many in our community, and we talk, we talk to our community members pretty frequently, you know, all of us, whether it's on our, on, on our community page or in our personal pages, um, you know, it's very intimidating and very scary to want to, to pull that trigger, to take that step, to, to, to push back mm -hmm. against your teams because you're trying not to fracture the relationship. You're trying to maintain it so you can ensure that your kid will be safe because especially if they have a medical fragility or especially if your child has certain limitations in terms of their ability to communicate, that's the most frightening thing. For us, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, that's the most frightening thing for us. Like how, they don't know how they can't come home and recall and tell us even our kids that are able to that have, quote unquote, articulate speech. Some of them, even our higher function kids don't have that recall feature. They right. don't have they don't know how to self advocate. They don't know. They also don't have the differentiation or how to delineate whether something is good or bad. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, we feel very vulnerable we, f we feel very vulnerable. So it's a very scary step to take. Um, but so every school district, wherever, every state has a grievance process. Um, and we were at an impasse. I was trying to get my son to have ABA support in school because mm -hmm. part of what they were saying is they wanted to put him in this more restricted classroom because he was going to be taken out because he had this private therapy every single day. And I had to use those hours I deeply believed in that was helping Rory acquisition. It was the whole reason my son could walk through those school doors because he had such st serious separation anxiety was because of ABA therapy that mm -hmm. changed that for him. Mm -hmm. That gave him confidence that, and that gave him, you know, and it also gave people tools to know how to, to work with Rory. You know, we, we had, some guiding posts there that didn't exist before that. So I wasn't giving up the, the ABA for him, you know, but I was like, you know, I really believed for his acquisition to happen faster. I wanted ABA to be happening in school. And in Texas, we have something called the autism supplement. And it was indicated in his supplement that one of the teaching strategies was ABA. So I was like, mm -hmm. I was digging deep. I was like, 
well, who's a, who, cause you could, you could not, you didn't have to be board certified at that time. Now you still, you have to be board certified. So you're looking for a BCBA if you're saying that, but you could have people that were ABA certified. Well, mm-hmm. if you didn't have any of those individuals in your district, I was asking like, well, when's the last time they were trained? Who's training them? Um, I mean, you're just doing deep dives. And I was actually also doing, um, my legal advocate said, well, you know, if you want real direct, um, reports on that, you do a public information request. So you do a PIA or PIR. Um, and that's something that anybody can do when your kids in public education, that's part of the accountability. You want to know that kind of data and whether you're in a grievance or not, you can request to say like, you want to know who's certified, who's not certified. When's the last time they've gotten trained, all that stuff. You can get those reports now because just again, when you get them, <laughs> Because again, most of us, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm generally speaking, you know, we, we, we don't know things like that. You know, we don't know. No. We just maybe assume that that information they, will be granted, or that, well, or that or they that, know what they're doing. That everybody's, you know, like they're the experts. I mean, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you don't, and you just don't know that. So that was, I was learning trial by fire, and that was mm-hmm. under also traumatic circumstances, like feeling like I'm trying to do the right thing for my kid here. You're feeling like, and we talked about this in other episodes, you're feeling like you have this window of time, right? Yes. Um, or we're even talking about that with some future guests that we're potentially having on here. Mm-hmm. And you have this window of time and whether that is because of alleged medical science data that is driving that information or, and also in my case, I knew that with the medical side of things that kids can age out of some of those supports. So I felt like I only, you only got so much time here to like make certain things happen and like get the wheels turning and sparks flying and gears going. And so my kid was, you know, he was on the, he's on the profound end of the spectrum. So I was, I was, I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was frightened. So there was a lot of fear and anger and grief driving this. Driving it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and I was, again, I was learning and I'm thankful that I had that legal advocate. I was thankful that I had this great, you know, parent mentor, um, at the time and they were both helping me, but that was like my entire world. And that was all I was doing. And that so again, were, added more to the, plate. were you doing like going to board meetings and, and school board meetings at this point? Not and yet. Trying, no. trying to see what was okay. not yet. Okay. I didn't even know it was on that level yet. I didn't quite understand it. So when I was going through the grievance process and you go, there's like three tiers, you have first level, then you go second level, second level, you're going, it, the second level hearing is with um, somebody on the executive level inside of the district. Mm-hmm. And so usually like student affairs, um, and then third level is supposed to be a board level complaint. So this is where I start learning about school boards. How it works. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but then that hearing got shut down because I had also filed a grievance with our Texas education agency. So I, my, my legal habit said like, yeah, like do make it multifaceted file level three with the district and also file grievance with TEA so that you can have TEA investigate the district too. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So they decided, well, we're going to dismiss. Well, it was, it wasn't exactly written as a dismissal, but it was a dismissal. They were saying, well, because you are filing a TEA grievance, we're going to not, we're going to just 
not agree to remedy what you're, what you're, or give you the remedies that you're seeking um, because we're going to explore that through the TEA, whatever grievance that we're having. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I was stonewalled. You know, I felt like, okay, well, now I don't have access to the school board. And I'm learning that, again, the school board is either they're not aware of what's going on in special education inside of the district. I'm, I'm noticing there's a, there's a, a disconnect. I'm identifying mm-hmm. there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. There's a disconnect between the under school boards and special education or the funding and the policy and the systems. There's something going on because I know this is a money issue. It always comes back to money, right? Like it's, always. I know one, that particular therapy, it's expensive. And if they don't have the infrastructure already established in the, in the district, to do that individually for one child, it's going to be either yeah, through a third party for them. It's not right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a fight. It is a, it is a financial commitment. So I'm like, well, is it really, I want to, I wanted to find out what's going on. Right. So, um, then why I'm in this, like filing this, uh, last set of grievances, um, and this has been going on for like two and a half years. Um, I, that December and January, the district was doing rezoning and, um, they were also moving some programs and one was a special education program that Rory was no longer in, but I felt passionately that that program shouldn't have been moved. And they were also, um, moving, uprooting the bilingual program, which they had just done like a year prior from another campus. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't done it wasn't done very well. The communication, the transition, it was all very bad and very traumatic for that community. And I felt, again, I felt like the marginalized communities were being picked on. I felt like these are the most vulnerable people in our communities. They're the most vulnerable learners. They need the most stability and mm-hmm. um, consistency to, th- to thrive. You know, what, what, can we, can we just say off limits to them <laughs> Or, or the other thing I was proposing is said, okay, if you really do decide, and I did end up having contact at this point, I'm like contacting with like high level people in the district. And, um, and I did get contact with one particular board member. And I said, listen, if you're going to commit to this, like you need to discuss a transition plan. Mm-hmm. You need to have a a transition plan for these, for these kids and these families, you need to have the buy-in from the families. You have to find out what they need, what the teachers need. Like, I don't hear any of those conversations happening. And that's what I'm concerned about. I understand, you know, from a bit, you know, school business is still business, right? So I understand that sometimes you still have to make certain moves maybe, but we have a responsibility to do it in such a way. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't see that. So I felt, I was like, okay, well, so, at that time, I think it was like that January or February, it was announced somewhere. It was like a, like a press release or whatever that, you know, two seats were up on our school board. And my husband at the time said, you know, you should run for school board. And I was like, and I've served on boards. I've (laughs) served on boards before. Right. So I, but I'm, so I'm thinking it's kind of like that, right. I have no idea what I'm stepping into. Mm -hmm. And I was like, are you sure? Like, He's like, yeah, I think you should. Like, you really, you have a full understanding of like what's going on. You know, you have a full understanding now of special education. You have a full understanding of the kind kind of learner Rory is and, and these systems. Like, you, we've been 
you've been going through it, you know. Um, I was it was nice to at least feel acknowledged that he saw, saw that in me, even though he was doing, not yeah. very, you know, immersed in the process or involved, but he saw that that's what was going on. I knew that was like my, you know, full time job basically. Right. And um my legal advocate, and this is why I still had that other grievance going on, was like, and I suggested that to him, he goes, You know what, Mrs. Mayor? Absolutely. A hundred percent. He said my biggest push is I say, I just, I'll connect you with another parent. I got on another school board. Mm-hmm. You should definitely run for school this board. Is your, Absolutely. This is your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she said, he said, you're a beacon of light. And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, I don't even know what that means. And then he started sending me these links. Right. Cause I used to, every time, cause he would enlighten me with like state policy and federal mm-hmm. policy and these very like, backwards things that really were setting limitations on getting our kids what they needed. And I just was like, where do I live? Why do I live here? You know, I feel like I'm in a dumpster fire. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't, this can't be where I'm supposed to live. Right. But I'm like, but yet I'm feeling compelled to To, like, to change, to make a change. Mm -hmm. Right. And she said, you know, some of the craziest places to be is where it is the worst. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he sent me even like people from like, like way back in like the 1800s in Texas and Senate women and moms. And he said, it's moms that are making the difference. It's moms that got that legislation passed to have the autism supplement put mm-hmm. inside of those IEPs. You know, we're talking about moms that got, you know, mothers against drunk driving, you know, mm-hmm. like that moms are the ones that are doing this. So he started really building me up and thought, okay, maybe I can do this. Well, then when I go say that, oh yeah, I like, I thought it was going to run unopposed. I did like, I was a campaigner. I don't even know anything about campaigning. I don't have a poli sci degree. I like, I don't, I don't know anything about this. And I honestly had only lived in Pflugerville at that time for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really know the community because I was so isolated by everything going on with Rory. I was Mm -hmm. constantly going to school, taking him to therapy, managing all his therapies, like all the paperwork. I mean, I even... I have a room in my house where I have a cabinet of all those files from the initial years. And I had a dream or like I, there was like a vision the other day where I opened it up and I just started crying. Cause it's just like, you look at that as just like, wow, that, that time was so mm-hmm. traumatic, mm-hmm. you know, it was so traumatic. I was so lost. I was so confused. I'm learning all of this stuff at once. Rory was in a different place developmentally too, where compared to where he is now. Um, but I didn't, I, did, I had no idea what a school board did. I didn't know what a school board trustee was. Mm-hmm. I I thought it was, again, like I was appointed to boards or I did get voted, I guess, into a certain position on, on another board when I was back in Baltimore. But it's a totally different thing to be on a board for a nonprofit right. and versus. to be appointed mm-hmm. versus having to become an elected official. Mm-hmm. Well, what also happened that year is the pandemic. So, which was like, what? Like, so one, I know nothing about campaigning. And then people are telling me, some people are advising me like, oh, we'll get a campaign manager. We'll do this. And I'm like, I don't have, like, I don't know how to do, yeah, I fundraised for organizations. I don't know how to fundraise for myself. Mm -hmm. Like, what? Like, who am I? And I'm not somebody that likes to be, again, I don't like to be the figurehead. I like to be behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. And um, like I'm, I'm a go-getter and do things, but I don't like to be like the, the prominent person. So I'm like, well, this is a huge stretch for me. Right. 
Well, I had some online presence, right? Because I had like social networking businesses and that's you, you and I both had those mm-hmm. social e-commerce mm-hmm. businesses. And so I was somewhat comfortable with being online. And so I think as timing would have it because of the pandemic. So there was no door to door, not door to door. Yeah. Yeah. There mm-hmm. was, you know, I did have signage made. Um, they actually even moved our election from the May, which was usually when they would host their election because mm-hmm. the pandemic was at the, at the height at that time to the primary. So I got moved to the presidential primary election. I was on the primary ballot. Um, and I was kind of relieved because it bought me more time because I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't have the money and I didn't have the resources and we're filing this grievance or we're, we ended up going to mediation right before school had started. And that led us to a very bad predicament, which didn't, had Rory not placed in school at all. Right. So then I was fretting for like figuring out how I'm going to educate my child for a year why it's like a month and a half before the election or two months, two and a half months before the election. And then the night of the election, I, I, I literally, and by the way, school boards, at least in Texas right now, and there was some legislation that was being issued for them to be partisan elections, but people who are wholeheartedly like, like understand what a trustee means. Mm-hmm. We are, we know it's a non, it has to be a nonpartisan decision. It's a nonpartisan, non-paid position. And some states and some districts, they are partisan. Mm. Some of them have part, partly single member districts, so they're not at large. I'm an at-large trustee, but they're just like confined to the area. And I think when we looked at your district, you, was, you are mm-hmm. single member districts, yeah. so they're by zone. And some of them, I think some of those seats are paid and some of them are not. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. And so I think- really quickly, like people under- are trying to understand like by zone. So you- so what you mean by that is is what particular area that you're in, in your school district, like correct uh, geographically right. or whatever, right. that you can only run for that. Yeah. And you, and you seat. only represent that part that of it, part that of constitu- the, yes. constituency. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, and those things have its pluses and its minuses, mm-hmm. to be honest, what I'm learning to from. From, from being in, in governance now. And so I just didn't, I, I'm, I'm doing my normal routine. The night of the election, I'm just doing my normal routine. And I had been involved with the community. I was talking to the community a lot online. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was making a lot of connections, you know, and then there were some community members that were already more invested and had been in, in the community longer. So they were like spreading the word about me and stuff like that. And I did end up having an opponent. I, was, I had an incumbent. I had a guy who was running against a guy who was not only been on the school board for like that a decade. lived in Texas but, for his whole but life. But he, he lived in Texas his whole life. He was he was a poster child of Pflugerville. He right. was he was a principal. Mm-hmm. He ended up working in, you know, mm-hmm. in an administration. And then his wife was a principal. His mm-hmm. daughters became principals. His daughter his one daughter was still and is still one of our principals in the district. And I'm 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 very good I have a very good relationship with with her I love her she's a wonderful principal like wonderful principal I had no nothing hard no hard feelings against this guy but I remember showing it to my best friend who worked and she worked in politics she was uh governor O'Malley well he was also when he was mayor mayor O'Malley and governor O'Malley is like chief of staff mm-hmm. I'm like 
she said, Jean, there's no way you can win this. You're right. running against the poster child of Pflugerville. Yeah. Like, I don't, yes. what are you going to do? I'm like, and, and if I just really quickly on that, Jean, is that so that, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people out there that realize, but it's like, you know, <clears throat> that's kind of the hard thing that, that people will use against each other. Right. Who is she? She's this transplant from Baltimore. What does she know about our community? She hasn't even lived here that long. You know, I mean, cause at that point right. you'd only lived there for how long? Two and a half years. Two and a half years, right? So so that's, that's a huge like for people that are that are born, raised, they've been in that they've that been, region. They, that. they are like, who is this lady and why would we why would Yeah. We? Even after I was elected and people then learned that I was a trustee, it's like, Oh, well, you must have lived here for a long time and I was right. like Right. No. And and, not and at especially all. and then again, especially the fact that it's you know, in the middle of a pandemic where you can't go to that face-to-face, you know, that door-to-door and, and really passionately sharing, you know, what, what you are about, who you are about, you know, all of those things. So, so, I mean, it was so social media could only take you so far, you know? Um, But obviously we know social media is a very powerful thing that getting people elected or not elected. Yes. And so I think I ended up that, it was just kind of the divine timing. I think the things were just aligned. Um, well, you know what I think about that. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't Come know on, what girl, I was it was doing. God's plan for you. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, and I, um, to the night of the election, I was just cleaning up the kitchen and putting the kids to bed. And I think Brad had turned on the TV and he was like, holy Jean, you're winning. And I was like, what do you mean I'm winning? She's like, you're not only winning, you're winning by a landslide. And I'm so like, cool. I'm like, what? And then I just get literally... real where you were like, oh, oh, okay, I'm I'm doing this. There's a possibility that I'm doing this. Oh my God. And I had been, and all along, like, so when the rezoning started and all that stuff happened, so back in January, so we I what I was. If I was not at a board meeting, I was watching them. Yeah. I was watching and I was to making know, sure that I was monitoring. Yeah. As much as I could from mm-hmm. that angle, I was still, you know, I'm on the other side. What we sit on, we sit on the dais. I'm on the other side of the dais. I'm still right. a community member, so my perception is still as a community member at this point. And but I'm, but I'm like looking at this as a business. I'm filing the agenda items. I'm listening. What's going on? I wanted to be as acclimated as I could to be prepared to For what was if me. I end up getting this opportunity, like. I knew what am I this was going to be a, mm-hmm. a fast. Yeah, some mm-hmm. I wanted to have some understanding. Mm-hmm. But again, this was like during the heat of the pandemic. This is during when the mask mandates were going on. The we were talking about the school boards were being. This was this was a crazy time. Yeah, because there's to be a school the, board member. All the drama and trauma were, and all the things. People, but, all of a sudden, people were paying attention to school boards where for decades, nobody paid attention to school right, boards. Right. Now, school boards were at the helm of the, the, the they were the political theater. Yes. And of, are you going to be country. on our side or are you going to be on our side? Yeah. 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 And it, things became very polarized. And, mm-hmm. and I think people, it, it still is. It's still, school boards are being are still a hot topic in all of media right now because of everything that's going well, on I think in education. The, I, think the, I think the pandemic really it changed was, the landscape. It, was, it, it changed the landscape for it. Mm-hmm. It did. I mean, by by, there's no disputing that we as trustees have talked about that. And so, for trustees that come on now, who are coming on the heels of the pandemic, mm-hmm. I'm struggling with that. It's kind of like it's like going to war. Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like you, 
the, what happens to people in the military. They, they get deployed. They're in these terrible circumstances and then they have to acquisition back to civilian life. Mm -hmm. And then you're understanding, you're not understanding why these civilians don't get what it is that you just went through. Mm -hmm. And so I will tell you that I feel that very much because now what the new trustees are experiencing is what it should have been like one boarding to a school board. Right. Right. I didn't. Not only is it when you do get elected, when you get, when you get, um, what is, what is what happens the night when you get sworn when in, sworn you, in. Get, yeah. you yep. get sworn in immediately. And I'm yeah. like, you, you're thrown in. You're just, it's trial by fire, but you're moving on a, a moving train. Well, mm-hmm. during the pandem- pandemic, it was a speed train. It was a yeah. bullet train. Get in the know? trenches with us and just figure oh, it out. <laughs> it was so like, I can't even tell you. And where you thought where people were like, oh, well, it's two meetings a month and uh-huh. maybe 15 hours a week. Now we're making real big decisions real fast. And we've got a lot of people with their pitchforks out who are and wanting to. And it requires to... a lot of time, mm-hmm. a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And and you, I didn't know mm-hmm. how that was going to evolve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's all of, like, again, I was just a mom. Yeah, I didn't have a poli sci degree. I don't have my doctorate. I'm in some specialized part of education. You know, I was never an educator. I was passionate about education. Mm-hmm. I was passionate about childhood development. Um, I knew I wanted to make you're a difference. Life, you're a lifelong learner, though. Let's be real. Yeah, well, you, we all are supposed to be lifelong. Well, we, learners. but you are. You know. Yeah, I do. It's like a, it's I, a constant I, rabbit yeah, hole it's for a you. Thing. Yeah, I do. I like to attach myself to a thing. Like we said before, the neurodivergence probably does not fall far yeah. from the tree runs here. Runs deep in the genes. Come on. Yeah, runs deep in the genes. Run, literally. Uh-huh. Yeah, deep in the genes. And mm. I I just – and then like once you get on this fast-moving train and you're, you're learning trial by fire and you're learning how the school board works and you're learning how mm. governance works, you're learning about school finance, you – there's – so much there's such a learning curve you're learning it in real time while also having to make well-informed decisions and decisions that literally sometimes are life or death literally yes and i'm not kidding they really are you we had um one board member this the one specific board member that i had mentioned that um the one that only had engaged with me when i was concerned about again the transitions with those two programs that had moved he did um, a program that I'm going to do, I'm going to apply for this coming year, uh, which is called Leadership TASB. And you travel to multiple school districts around the state and learning some I was special focus about those particular, like what is their special, you know, their claim to fame and mm-hmm. their um, crown jewels and, you know, or, or even like, again, really bad things have happened. Mm-hmm. Well, there was school board decisions matter. So what happened in this one school district, and I hopefully don't botch the story too bad, but this is why this local elections matter mm-hmm. and decisions matter. They made, uh, you because you make real estate decisions. You make decisions about property and development because you're mm-hmm. stewarding the future and progress and the of the school district. And all mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So, they decided to have this particular school built over a certain thing, but they didn't, they missed a step in like, 
somewhere in the engineering and they have a board approved some engineering piece and and um and contractor to then a couple years later the school blew up like literally mm-hmm. caught on fire oh geez combusted gas line oh geez and it was because of a school board decision yeah and so when you when I'm when it's it's very serious that it's not that's you can't be a rubber stamper. You can't just like look across and be like, or where are my colleagues voting, or how are they feeling, or right, right. sometimes okay when when the staff is giving you the information and you're doing the research, have you really examined all of those pieces that are necessary to make a mm-hmm. decision that again you're making decisions not just for real time, like right now, like for the kids in your district, you're making decisions that are going to affect and create a legacy down Mm -hmm. the line. Um, And you don't start to wrap your head around that again until you really immerse yourself into that work. And I felt, it felt so weird. And I didn't believe in like, I was not somebody who liked pomp and circumstance. I didn't like any of that crap. But I remember after I got elected and I'm getting letters from some of the officials and certain political parties and it said the title and it is like if I'm listed somewhere and like because I just went to a summit and one of my other friends that's a trustee was on the panel you are listed as the honorable and I got things in the honorable Jean Mayer and I was like <laughs> you're like me? what am I on the um the supreme court <laughs> well well here's one of the things that you do as a school board member yes. and like this is when i learned is that you do you have judiciary and fiduciary responsibility so your fiduciary responsibility in terms of stewarding the the um financial uh decisions for the district mm-hmm. but you do you hear those level three grievances that mm-hmm. i never got the opportunity to do in front of the school board what was now you what hear you those are being you determine those. yes mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i do i mean i have sometimes a couple you can have sometimes a couple a month mm-hmm. um or once a month or whatever i mean you want to have them as least frequently as possible because you don't want them to always come up to the school board you want right. a good determine you good determination of a very well high functioning school district is is, be is everything lower. being handled mm-hmm. very well on the lower mm-hmm. levels? Because that mm-hmm. means systemically the that right things are in place. Right. The, that they yes. don't have to escalate that high uh, up to, to your school board. But it was so weird. And I remember explaining that to my, my mother-in-law. She was like, well, well, you're not a lawyer. And I said, exactly. I, I know. <laughs> I, I, I wanted, and here's the thing, like I did want to go to law school. I made a decision not to do law school because I knew I was going to eventually have to take up, take care of my nieces. I needed to put myself in a position where I could have financial grounds and standing to be able to possibly take care of someone else's mm-hmm. kids. Yes, yeah. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that if I'm going to be in college for eight years and then I have this, all this debt, you know, yeah. built up. Yeah. So Anyway, so I was like, well, this is kind of like the chasm of, of all the worlds, you know, combined. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have, and here's, here's the thing too, well, I'll, when I'll, I'll move into or that I'll pivot into because 
we do as, because I'm a part of coalitions now of trustees. We have an at large, you know, across the state that we are unified and working collectively together. For the better Um, of all of all Texas public education, yeah, all, all public, public education, education in Texas. Yeah. And then we have now, and I'm a, and now I'm a leader in a um, cohort of, of trustees that all have special education students. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that. Yes. Focused and, and geared. And so How we're are you guys focused, making the change? Mm-hmm. Right. We're focused mm-hmm. specifically on special ed, uh, legislative policy and so again not just within your district but within texas as a whole Mm -hmm. right and it became a very hot topic because of the whole voucher discussion that was happening and that's happening in many states Mm -hmm. and they're using our special education students as pawns they're exploiting these narratives saying well this is why we need those well we all know and i know firsthand those private institutions don't serve our kids Mm -hmm. and they can you can apply if you want, but they can tell you straight up why and well they were not take them. Mm-hmm. And if they do take them, they're just taking it to collect the money and they're not, they're going to put them in a very restricted environment. And then you have right. no legs to stand on because unless you got private placement through your IEP or your ARD committee, you're not going to get what you need. There's no accountability attached. There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing. So you can't ensure and you, you as the parent actually lose your voice, but it's being promoted as that you're, oh, that that's parent. Yes. Parents are empowered. No, yeah. you're not. You're not. It's a, that is a, that is a false reality. That is not true at all. And so, so like one, I mean, one of the biggest benefits to you just taking this leap of faith and, like, and you know, you know how I like to do all everything is just jump off a cliff just be yeah. like you know what now we're just jumping backwards with our eyes closed <laughs> we will see what happens um uh but it's like it 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 snowballed into all of these different areas and and to really I don't want to say like niching down but like specifically you know obviously you are a, a board of trustee for for at large know, for... at large for Pfluger, Pflugerville school district but um but now where you're like, okay, I'm this for them, but now where can I put, I also want to put energy in these specific regions because this, for the bigger picture, Texas as a whole, because this is important, not just for you as Gene Mayer and and Rory Mayer, you know, but for the you know, for special all students for all I students care about and all then, kids. and yeah and for and then specifically for you know spe- you know the sped program their most are yeah the, our most, most vulnerable, vulnerable students children yeah yeah that yeah. that is underfunded and so yeah. a part of like learning all of that and so while you're talking so let's also talk about the whole taxpayer thing right so all of our taxpayer money goes you know a good portion of it goes to our school districts right mm-hmm. but you don't know how that distribution works down so two things happened big things happened, you know, with our finances this past school year and projecting about what our school budget would be this year. And this was all school districts were facing this. Some districts had already been facing deficit budgets for up some one upwards of seven years because there's this thing that happens in Texas where when your district becomes property wealthy, Mm -hmm. it becomes a recapture district. Mm -hmm. This means you have to send a portion of your school funds back to the state. Mm-hmm. And it used to be called like Robin Hood. So if you, what, it was supposed to create equity. It was supposed to then, if you're property wealthy, that money would then be distributed to the districts that weren't property wealthy. So right. it was supposed to make a level playing field for all, for all education across the state of Texas. 
Well, something happened along the lines and recapture ended up just kind of getting into our general fund and not getting getting distributed to those those rural communities mm-hmm. and what was also happening is that our school districts of many across the state started functioning in deficit budgets and you now add in the cost of inflation that's happened well if they don't increase the basic allotment and ours we were at texas is like at the lowest one texas is the ninth largest economy in the entire world like not just the country the world it is one of the largest economies in the world we are one of the wealthiest we had a 33 billion surplus in the state and they did not give a single dime to public education in this legislative session and we've had four legislative special sessions and we still are not getting it because they want to pass these vouchers. And what it was doing was those va- that voucher money was going to come out of public education mm-hmm. funds. And so you're not even funding the system that is. So what also brought to light for me, and I had never asked this question before until all this discussion was going on. I didn't know. Now I knew in school finance, there's different buckets. We have an M&L and we have an INS side. And so what we see publicly is like, you know, especially for us as special needs parents, we go, oh, well, they're paying all that money for facilities and this football field and that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all bonded money. Mm-hmm. That's Voters have approved that money for those things to be built. That money can't go. If it's bonded money, it can't go can't to go any other mm-hmm. funds mm-hmm. for any other needs in the district, right? So you then um, – and. So, but that makes a lot of special ed parents like upset, right? You know, they think, well, if they need more money, then stop spending money on that. Well, it's not about spending money. Not that cut and dry. It's that money is designated for something else. So what then I started asking was I knew that, again, we get federal funding, right? right? So I was like, well, how much money from the feds are we getting for special education? And then how much money are we getting from the state? Because states all have different ratios in which they mm-hmm. fund special education. Mm-hmm. And then how much did we to- in total spend in special education? So last year, we spent, our district alone, spent $37 million. 4.5 came from the feds, which is terrible, by the way. Every single one of us needs to be writing the Department of Ed and the increase, because that's where the main mandate comes from. IDEA is what drives getting our kids the education that they need. That makes it requirable by law for all states to provide education for our kids in special education. Yeah. So only 4.5 out of the $37 million spent was provided by the federal government. Okay. Then $22 million came from the state. Well, that's obviously a much larger portion, but not enough. And that didn't add up to $37 million. Where the rest of that money came from? Well, it came from the general fund. And so what people don't realize is that the, the way that the funding is designed is still not funding our kids. Right. Even if you are in we, I'm in a property wealthy district. Mm-hmm. It's not giving you enough money for mm-hmm. special education. Mm-hmm. And it's coming, it's actually taking money away, away from, from all students. Mm-hmm. It's hurting all kids. Mm-hmm. And so that belief of, 
when you actually do right by special education students, it literally is true. You will do right for all students because what you're doing is hurting every single student in your school district. Yes. And that's not like the story that I'm telling why there are unique things. Yeah. It's not, it's not unique, unique to Texas. Yeah. It's not unique to Texas. It's not unique to my school district. Right. This is what's happening everywhere. And I just met with another school district, a rural one that's in our region. So we still get kind of, we also, what happens in Texas, cause it's so large. We also get also grouped into these regions too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We get into these zones and region 13 is highly active because we also are the closest to the capital. And we're also the most diverse. We have a mixture of large, small, mid-sized, fast growth districts. We have all kinds of, of things happening here. And so, um, you know, they, what was, what's happening in them is a good forecast of if they really, they're in a good position right now, but starting next year, they're not going to be. And where they are unique that they don't have any vacancies. They're, they're unique in that they have enough money budgeted for the population that they serve, but it's growing Mm -hmm. and it's going to continue to grow. And there's no funding in place for that. So they're going to start operating at a, you know, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a deficit, deficit in mm-hmm. just in special education, if not necessarily a deficit for the district, but in it's going to take money out of, of the general fund mm-hmm. and people, you, this is not anything you learn overnight, right? Mm-hmm. I've now been on the school board for four years. I, um, or this is my fourth year. My, our terms are three. So I did have to go for reelection again, but I ran unopposed. So that was a blessing. Mm-hmm. Thank freaking God. Hallelujah. Because I did not have energy for campaigning. And I was like, well, whatever happens, happens people. Yes. Um, but like you learn this as you go and you still stay tied into your community. You know, you're still engaged in the community, your community, you build your relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a things that just don't happen overnight. Like until this year, I didn't have any relationships with our lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Now I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I text them. So that, so that's like, like probably one of my biggest questions for, you know, I mean, yeah. For those of us who are, and I say us, I'm, I'm not, but <laughs> for those of you out there um, who are wanting to, you know, dip their toes in, because obviously most people's situation is not going to be like yours, right? Where they've, no, where they, it, you know, not. it just kind of all like fell into place. Um, no, you know, no. and, 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 and maybe it is, maybe it is coming from a situation where people are, you know, like they are fighting against their district for just, you know, their, what their kid needs, what their kid needs. Yeah. The accommodation that their child should have. Um, mm-hmm. what, where, where do they even kind of start? Is it just within that, just kind of, um, going to school, school board meetings? Is it no, is it going, you know, like knowing how, the district works like knowing where money is you know yeah engaging yourself in the process so like learning what the process is right Mm -hmm. so you take the steps and so I think we just did a um we had a conference back in September and uh some of my some of my friends that are trustees and adjacent districts were on this panel about advocacy and where to start Mm -hmm. and what that looks like 
And it obviously always starts, advocacy always starts with, you're just, it's asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. Just start asking questions Mm -hmm. and you start turning over rocks and you get impassioned about something, right? And you attach yourself to it. Yes. And that starts to lead you down a pathway and you get connected to this person or that person. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of other advocacy groups. So even if you didn't, and I want to steer people this way too, if you don't even want to be, if you don't want to put yourself where you're in and have to be an elected position, there's advocacy groups right. for sure in your state that are doing legislative work, that are getting parents And they want to hear those people's voices. Yeah. They want to hear those people's voices. And there's not all great ones because mm-hmm. I, you know, there's yes. some not like so great ones Like everything we say on, on this podcast, you have to do your... <laughs> I don't want to shame anyone for whatever their beliefs are. So that is not what it is. And I think I'm always about making connections. So even mm-hmm. though, you know, like for instance... I am not, you know, I do not coincide with beliefs of moms for liberty, but you want to know what? First and foremost, we are moms. So we can agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, we have another organization here called TPPF here, which was a huge group that ended up making a movement to try again to get these vouchers passed because they believed in parent choice and parent voices. I engaged with a lot of these parents. Mm-hmm. They, they liked me. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, I'm not against them. Yeah. I'm for them. If, if, I want to help trying to them. hear where, what, where they are coming from. Like what, what is your, right. what is your right. thought process with this? What, what is it that you know? Why, and, and why most, do you want this so badly? Mm-hmm. And most people that are on school boards, if they weren't educators, they're parents, they are parents. They may mm-hmm. not, not even are special ed parents, mm-hmm. but they're parents, mm-hmm. parents, grandparents, they are connected to their community in that way. And so there's always that connection there. And I would encourage people, even if you, if you can find a way to build a relationship with somebody on your school board is to do that. That's one of those pathways. And you never know, even in our district, right? Mm -hmm. So if like, so not an advocacy group, but we have leadership academies, right? We have other committees where parents get to serve on and get stakeholder input. Um, like you just got in, you got invited to committees on, in your district. I'm just trying, I can't think of what it's called now. But yes, basically where it's a committee where we have input to what is happening and, or, you know, where we, where we fill and the things, the connections that we're making, what we hear from people in the community of what's important, like of what, you know, you know, right. Uh, everything. Gosh, I can't even. Right. And if you, you know, PTOs and PTAs, those are essentially also part of like, they use Robert rules. They're kind of, they're not, they can function like governing bodies, mm-hmm. but they're like advocacy They're They help, mm-hmm. you know, support your, your campus to just, again, that's, those are ways to put your, your toe in, like in those mm-hmm. particular, I don't know, um, instances, you know, those, those are ways to do it, but I would, it also allows you to build a collective. So one of the things and that's what's different and unique about my story is I hadn't really built that collective when I did that. Mm-hmm. I literally, like you said, I jumped Just... off a cliff backwards, closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I have no idea what I'm stepping into. I knew I needed to be in a place that affected policy because mm-hmm. I knew that policy is driving what is happening. Yes. I knew it. I knew it was because I'm a systems person. I like logistics. I knew that's what it was. I knew that was what it was when I was bumping up against things, you know, medically for, mm-hmm. for Rory. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how can I, how 
how can I bridge those gaps? You know, where, where can, where can we do that? But for parents, like there's other, uh, so what in that, on that particular panel, they talked about some of the other advocacy groups that I'm actually also a part of myself too. Um, now, um, that empower parents and inform parents and help them become better advocates and advocate for better, learn yeah, about educated you know, with these different right and so because the power is in the collective and we saw that we've seen that through all of what's happening in Texas right now is that the more people can come together especially when they're trying to drive you apart mm-hmm. oh my gosh there's nothing better mm-hmm. i'm telling you even if you don't exactly get what you want, but you may stop something bad from happening. That's still worth it, man. Yeah. It's yeah. still worth it. That's, that's where change is made. And, um, you, everyone has, there's a way to contribute. So even if, so if you, whether it doesn't mean that you have to step up and go testify, but you can write your lawmakers, you yes. can learn how to do Which that. The simplest you, thing of, of sending Sending, sending a letter, letter or you can be a part of the group of of like that's saying we need to put all these packets together or mm-hmm. we need to get this information mm-hmm. sent out there's everyone has a role you can figure out what yours can be we have you know i work for one of the things we didn't mention i do work for texas parent to parent um i do medical training for first and second year medical residents but i um one thing I never got involved with Texas parent to parent, but I, that was where I saw part of that vision when I went to that conference and they did a whole session on legislative advocacy. I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, whatever. That you know, is the future for Jean. Right. I'm going to do that. I was like, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it, but this woman up here and her daughter um, mm-hmm. who's disabled are advocates. And she said, you know, we take people down to the Capitol we work up, you know, legislative priorities as an organization. We work with other groups and, you know, we help try to affect policy and change. I said, you know what? I'm going to do that one day. I never, it's like I almost bypassed that. I bypassed that, but now full circle, I'm back. I'm part of that group now mm-hmm. because they've learned that they have one of their own parents serving on school board. And they've also now learned that there's other parents like us serving on school boards. Yeah. And now we don't have to be adversarial because yeah. it's bridging that gap and bridging and that gap coming together. How can we, how can we, it's yeah. bridging that gap and it's empowering more parents mm-hmm. and they can see they're learning other ways that they can get involved. They'd already been involved. They, some of these parents obviously are drawn to being involved, mm-hmm. but now they're learning even more ways to be involved and they're getting connected and they can find ways to work with their school boards and they can understand maybe how school, now I can give them uh, some insight to how school boards function. Work. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you know, it's, it's just this new network of things I, I never dreamed of, but it's like the coolest phenomenon and it's probably the most hopeful thing to come out of it that that's now happening here in the state mm-hmm. and not, it's not widespread. I would still say it's like pretty grassroots still at this point, but that's how things start. start that's how they always. start. Yes. They all start that way. And, and we, I would love for now that to hopefully be taking place in other states and that way we can start making change also on yeah, the federal level. It's a collective, being, collective whole coming together, changing yes. the face of, of, not just state to state, but now we're taking it federally. Taking like, it federally, is, right? Like is, we need to do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, and we know and that. Because safe we, to say, we, this has enriched your life. <laughs> oh my God, so much, and it is very stressful. I'm not telling you. I want no. to tell anyone. Oh gosh, I that mean, it is. It is not easy. I mean, you get 
I've gotten chewed up and spit out by yeah. by lawmakers. I've gotten chewed up and spit out by community members. I've gotten mm-hmm. chewed up and spit out by other people in other parts of the state. You know, like you, it is a risk. You're putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really, uh, it's a very privileged unfortunate experience to have but it also feels like it's that thing you know like spider-man always says like with great power comes great responsibility mm-hmm. you feel like you have such a so, large so responsibility on your on your yeah shoulders you're a large responsibility of- but it's mm-hmm. so cool and even though my son is on a good campus you know he's on one of, you know he's on a great campus has a great team what's happening legislatively is already affecting that campus mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and that's what's scary and that's what keeps me up at night um Mm -hmm. is knowing that if it's affecting my kid too again like all of of our other kids that it's affecting all of our other campuses or other campuses that not don't even have maybe the the structure or you know that or systems that mine does or the culture you know there's so many so many um there's so many things to so many things to consider. And I, again, like I, I don't want, I want people to, I talk to a lot. There, there are plenty of parents, especially in my DMs in our community that mm-hmm. message me being like, what else, what else can I do? How can I ask questions? And when they start doing that, it is, it's, it's kind of like what Bree said. It's contagious. Yes. They, they find their own kind of way. And that's yeah. what I would encourage anyone. Like my pathway is not going to be your pathway. Yes. It's a pathway, mm-hmm. but it's like just being courageous. It's real. it starts with just being courageous enough to be about being curious. Yes. You know, Lisa always says that mm-hmm. be, stay curious mm-hmm. like that. Your, your advocacy starts at that IEP. Yes. Um, it starts table. with your child. Yes. Yeah. It starts um, with your child and what you're doing for your child does impact other kids. You don't realize it. You mm-hmm. can't see it mm-hmm. because you're so like narrowed in to yes. your child specifically in that room with those people. But that experience that those professionals are having with you, mm-hmm. if is good or bad, mm-hmm. is going to impact the way they are with the next set of parents and so on and so forth and other kids. And so it's, especially if you have a burning question that you want asked, just ask it, ask it, you you ask it, whether and honestly have it in writing, because that's even better because if you just verbalize it, they can be like, Oh, I don't know that you asked me that or not. Always put it in writing guys. Always put it in writing. Um, that's definitely how I started. Just yeah. like everything yeah. was in writing. We were yeah. writing books over here. This one, mm-hmm. me, um, I've, my, my novel writing has, has shrunk quite a bit tr- tremendously, but the talking has, has not, mm-hmm. I think, you know, you, Tosh, you've gotten really involved in your community. You've found your, many of your own pathways and even in your school district, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's, it's just taking those steps mm-hmm. and also examining what your agency is too. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you have? Where, where, what where, are your limitations? What can you ha- yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. What, what you can handle, what you can't, what you're really driven to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just, just simply, um, just having that better understanding of, of your, your district, your area, your, not even just your child's school, but just, 
starting there, you know, then when you have things that come up, like, like teachers going on strike or, you know, um, it's really important. It's really important to do your research. I will say that's probably the most important thing because, Mm -hmm. um, being informed and being rightfully informed, like having the facts, because there's a lot of anecdotal information out there Yes, and there's a lot of polarizing topics and it becomes very like one-sided. Yes. And it's like, you know what? These actually are not many of these things that are going on in our school districts are not binary. Not, I mean, not one of them. I don't know one that is, it's just, they're none of them are binary equations because there's so much involved. And so it's like remaining to be curious about that mm-hmm. and trying to, it's hard. It's hard. And you and I it, definitely are our personalities that struggle with this is, yes, is looking it's hard to not to be to give people the, the benefit the, of the doubt mm-hmm. and not and not be jumped to the conclusion of like someone you know well you're just you're bad or you have it out for me or you have it out mm-hmm. for my kid or mm-hmm. you're gonna you're and not being triggered into thinking that oh this is just gonna spiral out into this terrible contentious thing it's not always it's it's always hoping that people are being good intentioned. Mm -hmm. If you try to, it's, it can be really hard to always, it's hard to function like that. I have that problem. Like, again, Mm -hmm. I started out this conversation. I'm from Baltimore. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why are you being nice to me? You know? Well, just like, even when people are being nice, I'm like, "Mm, suspicious, highly suspicious. Like you said, it goes back to just asking those questions. Okay. Well, I'm, you know, why is this, why are we not able to do this for my child? Why are they not, or an example, you moved my child to this program at this school when they had more support over here, um, and now you won't allow my child, even though they're not doing great, to have a to have a one-on-one para. Help me understand what is the deeper part of that. Why? Why? You know. So it and is they just, may not, and those staff members may not may be not able know. to tell you. And so then it's it is then it's going. You know. Well, they may that, not be allowed to tell you. Okay. That would be where, yeah. like, that's they have to because they're not allowed to disclose that, and so that's yes. they may want to, you know, and that's the thing they may want to, but they're not allowed to. Yeah, and it's knowing, and that's where you it's the coming attack to they're good intentioned, but yes. they are have limitations to what to, they can and cannot say. So again, it's going back to that. Well, well, I I'm going to be curious. I I need to figure out why why this, where, why, what is, where's the roadblock? Why is this happening? You know, um, right. uh, is it ill-willed or is it, you know, um, and sometimes what, are, what it is it? Is. Tyler calls it the three, the three, three use. What does he say? Uh, unin- or, or the, what does he say? What is it? Oh my gosh. He just said this to me the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so good. Unable or unwilling uh, oh, that sounds good. The three oh, years. So Let's Google this. Okay, it's so good. Oh my gosh, uh, I need to now know what this is because okay. you know what it reminds me of. You know when Lisa talks a lot on her platform and when she's been on. It was on like our show. it's like you know like not informed, uninformed or whatever, unwilling at, or unable. Okay, three years. Let's see. <laughs> Thinking through the three U's. Nope. Well, this this is using it in terms of uh, optimism. Is mm-hmm. usefulness, ubiqui- ubiquity, 
and utility. Yeah, that's those aren't the yeah. views that he's I talking will, about. I will get it. I will get it to you. But it is get it, it, is get so it from good. the captain, please. Because please it is get it, from the get it from Captain Tyler. Um, <laughs> it is. It is so true. We 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 put we put this immediate you know, most of us do, especially us Enneagram eights, you know, like mm-hmm. you're, you're, un- you're unwilling to do this for my child, you know, and it's, and sometimes it doesn't go back to that. Maybe there is the other reasons they're unable. There's or underlying they're, they're, factors. They're, yes. Yeah. So it is just, even me in my position as trustee, again, like I'm given very privileged information that mm-hmm. I can't just yeah share. Go out share. I can't, can, you can't. And it's because it's a safety and security issue or, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of special ed laws about again and that's for our own best interest too you don't want staff just talking about your kid to other people other family other community members you know I have to do the the same exact thing abide by those same things um as a trustee even though I'm not you know an employee Mm -hmm. and so even probably more so because you have to like model that behavior Mm -hmm. but it's so hard when we bumped up against that obstacle to, to try not to immediately jump to the conclusion that someone has bad intentions. I mean, some yes. they do. And yeah. some, like Lisa says, what I was saying before, is that, is this a practice or a policy? Mm-hmm. And like, is this like meaning that practice, is it a bad habit? Probably mm-hmm. a bad habit. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you are, when they tell you no to something, ask, mm-hmm. okay, can I see the policy on that? Yes. Please. I always say, go to that. Can I see the policy? Because that is where you start to break down. Because it's okay. a, it, because, okay, because it's a policy or because that you've gotten used to just doing it this way and now and you you've just, just formed you, your and own you have, little policy. <laughs> exactly. Nobody's Staff ever is, stopped you from doing it. <laughs> no one's ever stopped you from doing it. And you just yeah. got really comfortable and like, well, this is the way we do things. We just is how we do well, it. Yeah. So again, it all goes back to curiosity. It's just being curious. Like, like. I'm not, it I'm is. not trying to be that annoying parent. I just want to know like, why, why, why do we do things this way? Why is it happening this way? Why are you saying no? Why are you saying yes? Why are we putting money here? <laughs> you right. know, just learn about your really school finance learning. system yeah. if you can, even just like the soft, get a soft lesson on it because yeah. it can yes. be really hard. Even listening to, well, I mean, by law, you know, board meetings, they have to give updates where right. the budget is, right? Right. That's not that budget doesn't really help you understand like the inner workings of school finance. They'll give you like kind of the the bigger stat, the, yeah, yeah, the bigger picture, like where you are in your general fund, where you are in, in, in each of your bonds because your bonds get labeled by, by year and project. And like Mm -hmm. you just, and you have to be man and you're, you're supervising all of that and being how those dollars are being spent. And, but you don't, you're, there's a whole backstory happening. There's a whole training that we've got, or we have to get continued education on and certification right. on. Or some of us, like our board, not every board has it, but our board has subcommittees. We have a finance committee. So if you're serving on that committee, you are getting more, you're one driving input that you're looking for staff to make that also comes back to the board, but you have like a leg up before the rest of the board because you're getting privy to information because you're on that committee. And so like, there's so many moving parts. And if you like that kind of stuff and you want, like, it's, it's a cool place to be, you know, but it can be, it's a lot of responsibility Mm -hmm. if you really are passionate about making change. And I will Mm -hmm. say this, I don't remember how big your school district is, but and I know I've mentioned it to other parents, 
the larger the ship, the harder it is to turn. Mm -hmm. So change doesn't, those levers of change don't, even when one thing has happened, it takes a while for things to trickle down. If you happen to be in a small district, you know what? That's a really cool place to be because you can be at the impetus and the inception Uh, of some really mm -hmm. cool changes. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some, like some of our community members, I've told them that, like, you know, you're in a nice size place right now like you know this that presents an opportunity and like learning your different learning your different Mm -hmm. angles and it's about engaging in these kind of conversations that you and I are having right now and those kind of conversations that I've had you stay connected to people in that way I get people ask like you know they think they're bothering me asking weird questions first off nothing's a weird question Mm -hmm. um I'll always be just like at the IEP table yeah, nothing's a weird question. Nothing. I'll always, Just ask it. <laughs> I I I will be as real as possible. If I really right. don't know something, I'll say, you know what? I don't know that yet. And but I'm always willing to like go learn, figure out. Go yeah. learn it, figure it mm-hmm. out. Or I can find somebody that can mm-hmm. figure it out. Or I can mm-hmm. say like what we do, like on the podcast, like we right. have all these expert guests and we can direct people in that yes. fashion. Like we are only experts of our children. And so we will lead you. But in... are we experts of our children? We are not. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, for, it is for a hot, for a hot minute and then it everything is, changes. <laughs> it is cool. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's questionable, you know, and oh, it's scary, gosh. man. I mean, it's scary. Yeah. It's scary. We, we've talked about this on other episodes too. You know, we're so scared of making the wrong decision for our kids. Yeah. Like our own kids. But the only I, wrong decision is not just, that. is just not trying. Yeah. Is not, is, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like you gotta, yeah. you gotta jump. I've made a, and I've made a make lot a mistake. Wrong decisions. Yeah. And then learn from that and move in the, you pivot. In the direction. Yeah. You pivot. Yes. There we go. Exactly. You pivot and then you point you in a different direction yeah. and now you you'll know never know and... if you don't just try. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. We all benefit of each other's learned and lived experiences. Um, I so yeah. I mean, like here I am. I love it. Here she I'm is. I'm an elected official. Yeah, honorable Jean's mayor. Yeah, it's so weird. It still uh, I is still, weird um, to me. I still like uh, mean, mean Jean a legislative, legislative machine. machine. I, I think a lot of people do because I've had some people say, "When are you going to stop doing this and just because stop I'm working so funny." In- and become become a uh, a lobbyist or, or a lobbyist. Yeah, there you go. When are you going to run for um, representative or yeah. senate or whatever? Yeah. And I'm like, you're just gonna you're just gonna you're just gonna roll with it. Let things- and you see all that stuff out there. You don't have to be like that's the thing. Do your research on your on your elected officials. They're yeah. not, you know, th- some of them again. They're just they were just parents. They weren't, they didn't, not all of them were lawyers or doctors uh, or some specialists. Y'all, if field. Donald Trump could become the president Shit, of America. I'm, I know. I was trying to avoid. you be a board member for your school district. I was, exactly. I was trying to avoid that analogy, but I will tell you that is a very common one that is I'm used. just saying, you know what I mean? You know, no, you, you're there very was no, right. There was no politics. There was no, hey, any, hey. nothing. And then they put Betsy DeVos in, in who had no experience in education in the Department of Ed. And so, that was a freaking nightmare. With that so, being said, y'all, you you can do it. You, you, you can, can do, do it. You can do it. Or like Nike says, just do it. Hmm. Just That's just basically it, what I did. I just was like, we're just going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to learn as I go. And I'm going to bring along my experiences that I've had. I'm going to keep building upon it. And so good. here we are, people. So good. 
partying at the Capitol. An hour and 46 minutes later. I'm sorry. Longest, longest podcast episode ever. Well, they I'm left us alone. I know. Never. <laughs> we warned you. We always warn you. Never leave the two of us alone. Um, I know. So with with all of that being said, Jean, proud mm-hmm. of you. We are so proud of you. The, the three of us girls are so proud of you um, and the work that you are doing. Uh, and I'm sure I can speak for a lot of our community out there as well. Um, what what do you want to leave everybody with today? Um, know that you always you may not like the choices that you have, but you always have a choice, mm-hmm. and that choice is power. And you are empowered and just don't be brave enough to ask the questions. Yeah. Just be brave. It's scary. It doesn't have to be adversarial. It doesn't have to be contentious. Just be like, hey, I don't really know what the answer is to this or I don't really know what you're going to say or how you're going to react. Please know I'm not trying to do X, Y, and Z. I just want to understand this. Can you help me or point me in direction to find it? Yes. Um, be, be a willing participant to learn, even if it's going to take time. And even mm-hmm. when we feel like it's urgent and even when it feels like it's life or death, again, reach out, find a peer, that peer-to-peer mm-hmm. support. There's not just one answer or, not, or another, but it's like understand that advocacy is a slow walk where I'm at right now did not happen overnight. Happen overnight. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're, Rory's 10 now mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, I'm now 41 and <laughs> going through a divorce and living in a, a state that has been a dumpster fire for a long time. And now I'm like, you just, never know everybody. <laughs> you never know what can happen guys. Anything can happen. Anything. And then you have a podcast. Oh, I know. It's just, you know, it just, just happens. You never just know. happens sometimes. Yeah. Just, so good. So You can good, do Jean. hard things. Yes. Yes. We can do hard things for sure. We can yes. do hard things. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank and you. of course, you guys all know how you can reach Jean um, at, on the DMs in our Moms Talk Autism uh uh, what's it called? Instagram uh, <laughs> at Moms Talk Autism. Um, also, you can uh, send an email over to our our email at um, hello at Moms Talk Autism dot com. Uh, you can specifically send it to Jean there, um, and then also you can you can find Jean on her private Instagram page. I mean, it's, it's public, but her her own personal. Uh, right. What at, at at just Jean underscore just at just Jean underscore. Do you remember WM. what it is? Yeah. Okay. WM. Okay. I'm just One like I'm not used to saying underscored. At just Jean underscore WM. WM. So it's Wade okay. Mayer. So it would have been yeah at just Jean Wade Mayer. But yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have her change her handle to Mean Mean Jean Legislative, Legislative Machine. machine. Um, all right, you guys with that, uh, like I said, reach out, um, share with us your thoughts about this. If you have deeper questions or or more niched down questions for specific things that Jean has shared about today, 
um, then then reach out and she can hopefully answer those for you. And if not, like we said, we she can steer you in the right direction. Um, we love and appreciate you all so much. So make sure that you leave us a lovely review. <laughs> Give us five stars if you can. Um, <laughs> Because again, it does help us reach the masses and to share, you know, such good information like this. So, um, okay, that is it. We will catch you on the fly. Yes. Say goodbye. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.